0: Who do you say that Jesus is? Today And let me be frank, some Christology. And His Excellency is going to start with four councils in the fourth and fifth centuries that helped the church define and understand exactly who Jesus is. But it's more than just knowing that Jesus is God and man, that Jesus created us and saved us. It's about what that answer means for your life. That's ahead on today's Let Me Be Frank. So keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. The app is on your phone's app store or it's at veritascatholic.com. And hey, if you are listening to Let Me Be Frank on podcast, be sure to rate us, review us, give us five stars and help us reach more souls. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. (laughs) Before I tell you about Foundations of Faith, uh, they want all young adults in the diocese to come to the Bishop's Annual Mass for Young Adults. It's on Saturday, September 30th at St. Matthew's Parish in Norwalk. Adoration that night begins at 5.30. Mass with Bishop Caggiano is at 6. And then stick around for a social after mass. More information is at catholic203.com. There's All kinds of innovative programs that Foundations in Faith helps fund and make possible here in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Foundations in Faith focuses on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.com. Okay. Here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve.
1: Good morning. Good morning. Morning, Excellency. Here we are. School has started. To pray for our poor kids. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, it was. It's. It's the hottest it's been in weeks. These poor kids. These poor young people going to school.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy. I we had soccer practice yesterday and oh, I started wow. running my boys really hard oh. and after just 5 minutes I was like, "You know what? Let's let's uh refocus and do something different." Oh yeah. No, no. You kept yeah. to because you know what it is, it's funny. So this is we may have 4
1: days of 90 degree weather. We haven't had that since July, I don't think.
0: Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been nice actually. It's like
1: injury and insult. <laughs> wrapped up into one Anyway, so we pray for all our young people that this year's school year will be one of many graces right that's what we yes. pray for okay so what uh-huh. do you want to talk about the weather sports we're not going to sports we're not going to baseball because that's quite depressing for me <laughs> <laughs> what else would you like to talk about i have an idea
0: <laughs> yes let's okay. talk about the lord <laughs> the, that's a that's a, always a good topic yeah he's Always worth it. <laughs> well, you know what? I was,
1: I was uh, again as we begin a pastoral year, and we're going to launch the one in all its vigor. Um, and we speak about encountering Jesus, many opportunities to encounter Christ in ordinary life, and in including, and most especially in the sacraments, and preeminently and in, in a paramount way in the celebration of Holy Mass. It does beckon the question. Well, who ultimately are we seeking to encounter? Like in the end, who is this Lord that claims my loyalty, fidelity, and ultimately is what I believe the the roadmap and the path to eternal life? So we spoke about this, oh gosh, almost two years ago in a very different context. But I think this time the context beckons us to revisit how would we answer the question that sits in the middle of the synoptic gospels, who do you say that I am? And depending on how we answer that question, then we give the rationale for seeking those opportunities to encounter him. Because you can love religion and not have faith. You can love religious observance and not necessarily have a relationship with the one who gave birth to it all, You could walk a journey and not enter through the door at the end of the journey. That may sound very odd, but the truth is, there are many people who have unfortunately fallen into that trap. The whole purpose of the one is to avoid that and not have a false choice, but to both enter into this encounter with the Lord in which we fall in love with him, we know him, we serve him, and follow that which he taught us in a religious observance, leading to the celebration of the sacraments, most especially mass, right? right. So that's basically what I'd like to talk about today. What do you think? Yeah, it sounds great. Okay. So, how, So how would you answer that question? Who, Who do you, do you say, say that, I yes, am? Yes. Yeah. You got the first test of the new school year. Exactly. All
0: right. <laughs> right. Hmm. I I can't think of any better way to answer it than how um, Peter answered it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Peter said, um, you are the Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, you are our Lord, mm-hmm. our savior, our creator. And, and I guess, you know, for Peter, his answer is, changed his whole life and made all the difference because Mm -hmm. then jesus said right and you are rock right right so yeah it just occurs to me that Mm -hmm. how we answer that question also makes all the difference for Mm us
1: well well thank you i mean obviously that's that's an excellent answer but it has to be unpacked if peter said you are the christ the son of the living god that in his context meant something specific which Peter would grow to understand more deeply when he confronted the death and resurrection of the Lord. Because remember in the same passage, Jesus said he would go on to suffering, and Peter rebuked him, and Jesus told him, get out of my way. Yes. So he didn't quite understand exactly how to answer the question. But the Christ meant the anointed one. So in a Jewish context, that meant he he claimed, and rightfully so, that Jesus was the Messiah. He was the longed-for one, promised to the chosen people, one who would bring liberation and peace and restoration that was lost at the very beginning of creation in the fall. But he did not quite understand what that meant. And therefore, in his odyssey of coming to understand what it meant, he was using biblical images. So the son of the living God. right. what does it mean to be a son of God? I remember when I was a, a young kid, we used to sing that goofy song. God forgive me for saying it, it's goofy. But, sons of God, hear his holy word. Gather around the table of the Lord. And you, so in some sense, we are all sons and daughters of God, correct? Right? Yes. But when we, when we say Jesus is the son, it's something very different. And I think he himself had to come to understand that the person who was standing before him was one of the basic insights, was that he was a person unlike any other person. That he was a divine person. And I'm not sure at that moment, Peter or the apostles fully understood that. But they Mm -hmm. came to understand it in the light of the resurrection and in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Because in the end, the act of faith in Jesus is both a divine gift and a human acceptance. You don't come to faith simply by your sheer human effort you respond to the gift of grace. So one of the things that complicates this question, it's actually a number of things. The first is that um, everything that is claimed about Jesus in the New Testament is basically biblical images. They are not philosophical categories. And for us to truly answer the question, who is this Christ? Has to be both biblical and philosophical. It's not one or the other, it's both. And the difficulty the church had and still has in the contemporary world is that philosophy has the tendency to try to answer the question in such a way where there is no room for grace, that there is no room for what I'm going to be called to be surprised by revelation, which is not the product of human thinking. We're always tending to try to figure everything out by reason and logic. And so the church struggled to be able to, in some way, shape, or form, use philosophical categories so that the biblical images, which are obviously revealed and true, can be explained even to those who no longer live in the biblical context, so that they truly have an enduring presence. And again, that's a constant struggle because philosophy and philosophical concepts change, right? They change over time. And so in one way, our language about Jesus is eternal. In another way, it also needs to adapt to the modern world so that we don't inadvertently use what is considered orthodox terminology to mean something other than what orthodoxy claims, which we're gonna get to in a second, At the heart of all of this is what Gregory of Nazianza said in Latin, quod non assumptus non redemptus est. That is, whatever was not assumed is not saved. And therefore, as people began to understand the fundamental premise of revelation in Jesus Christ, that he came as a Messiah who would save us from sin and death, not just restore unity and order or peace in this world, but come to recreate all things and to finally cause death to die, which is a beautiful image and to forgive all sin and the consequences of sin. So therefore, Christ came as the Messiah Savior. And that is the answer to the question, who do you say that I am? You are my Savior and my Redeemer, which I don't think Peter could have had the categories to say, but we can now, understanding it fully. And that ultimately, if I was to jump to the very end of our conversation, that ultimately answers the question, why do I seek to encounter him? Well, I seek to encounter him because without him, I have no hope. I have no future. I have no forgiveness. I have no salvation. Everything I have is transitory. Everything I have passes. There is no hope without him. So if there's not a felt need for a savior, then there is not a felt need to encounter a savior. And unfortunately, in the quasi-religion of the modern world that was created while secularism created this false idea that you could eliminate all organized religion and we could have like a neutral territory in in that, that fantasy land that was created, as if people don't ask those very fundamental human questions, which are inescapable, even if you anesthetize yourself, you can smack, smoke marijuana 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you could drink as much alcohol as you could produce in a store. You can't escape you cannot escape the questions. Even if at the last moment of your life, as you are dying, sooner or later, you have to face the ultimate questions that I just described. In which case in Christian faith. We invite people to face them now in the light of Jesus Christ. Not when it is too late to do something about the life one lives in light of that hope and faith. Yes. So it's all about salvation. It's all about taking the temporary and transitory and entering into eternity and glory. So there is no language in the New Testament that is philosophical right, in and of itself to answer the question. And therefore, the church struggled to find the right answer. So, if you look at the catechism of the Catholic Church, to answer the question of Jesus, who do you say that I am? The church teaches that at the appointed time, God the Father sent his only begotten Son, not begotten in his divinity, in that sense, but begotten, well, in, in, having no beginning in eternity, right? So the father begets the son, but there isn't a created moment. So it is eternally so, right? In the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the father begets the son, the son returns the love to the father, and that's an eternal reality because God is eternal, right? But he's, in in a sense, he is given flesh and life in the incarnation in humanity, so he is the divine son taking on human flesh, right? Incarnated means literally to take on human flesh, to take on a human nature, remaining both God and man in one person. And that person is divine. So there are two questions that we always ask. Like I ask of myself, i going to ask you, if someone said, who are you? is different from asking, what are you? So if you were to ask me, who am I? I'd say, I'm Frank Joseph Caggiano. That is who I am. What am I? I'm a human person, even though some people may not agree, but I <laughs> am a human person, okay? Despite what you think, right? So, So when Jesus was asked, who are you? He would answer, I am the divine son right? That is who I am. What am I? I am true God and true man. So how does divinity and humanity fit together in one person who is divine?
0: What do you think of that? Let's, let's think about that for a second. Any thoughts? (laughs) Uh, My first thought is, it doesn't even make sense. Uh, on a human level, right? Philosophically, right. one would say, well, how, how, how actually,
1: can you, could you say God is eternal, God is omnipresent. God is everywhere, right? So, yes. So the Son, the only begotten Son of the Father in eternity, enters into creation and still remains the only begotten Son of all eternity. So the subject is God, but God is both God and man. Yeah, that's where people, a lot of people, before there was the invention of aspirin could have used it as they tried to struggle through this question, but let's take a step back. So we had this fundamental question of salvation. I long to have my death not be the end of my existence, right? I long to make an eternal difference. I long to believe that I will see my mother and father, I will see my relatives and friends, I will see my classmates, I will see the ones who have entered into the mystery of death. There's something so deeply primordial in me that wants to see them again, and that is salvation offers us because love is what carries us unto eternity. So the Son is the incarnation of love, who is God, right. But one of the insights that we could consider is, for the longest time, Christianity has been accused of being otherworldly, that we reject the world. I think that's part of the insight that Paul Francis is trying to correct with this integral ecology, that somehow Christians say, well, the only thing that matters is heaven, and the earth, well, it is what it is. But the truth of the matter is, humanity and divinity a kind of like hand and glove that humanity was created so that it could have been the perfect receiver of divine life. And the fullness of divine life entered humanity in Jesus Christ because he is the divine person who took on the human nature. We are human persons with the human nature. He's a divine person with the human nature, but he is fully human. So somehow divinity and humanity are not enemies, allow me to be poetic, they're friends, they're companions, right, they're married companions in some way, shape, or form. So the actor in Jesus, he who acts, is the divine person. For Frank Kajano, Steve Lee, and everybody else listening, the actor, the subject, is a human person. Because a human person cannot save. A divine person can. Only God can save. Which then raises another question, which we're not going to get into today, unless you want to, and that is, so how can God be, be in heaven, on earth, and in spirit in us? So that raises the question of how can God be one, and more than one, and still be one, which is the mystery of the Trinity. And that ultimately is love, because love demands more than one. I mean, in a very simple way, to say God is love, you are actually defining the Trinity. Because even if you love yourself, you have to go out of yourself to love yourself, because you embrace yourself as a partner in a strange sort of way. Even a narcissist, the quintessential narcissist, who loves himself or herself, as the center of his life, has to literally embrace himself or herself as if it were a separate subject. Hmm. So the very impulse of love is to go out to something more. Right, That's a whole nother conversation to have. Right? So part of what worries me and part of why we need an apologetics for the 21st century in the one is that language has become very imprecise. So when you speak of a nature, when you speak of a person, it means so many different things to so many different people that even if they were to say the language correctly, one divine person with two natures, and those two natures, okay, are without confusion and without mixture, right? So God is still God, man is still man, there isn't like half of God, two thirds of God, one third of humanity, all this stuff, right? It's very hard um, for modern individuals who do not have philosophical background to make sense of that other than just simply stating what the formula is, which is true faith, without fully understanding what it means. So therefore, I think part of the one is to try to help people understand what that really means. And I'm not suggesting we give philosophy classes. What I am suggesting is to try to experientially ask the question, well, who do you say Jesus is? And what is it that you need as a tool to help you to understand and answer
0: that question correctly as the church understands it? Thoughts, Steve? I was just going to say, no, that makes total sense. I mean, because it sounds like what you're saying is through the one, you get the apologetics and the catechesis, but it's not because you want it to stop there. Like I gave you, when you asked me, who do you say that Jesus is? I gave you the classroom answer, (laughs) but you want it to have the classroom answer, but then to go deeper through the one and say, well, okay, so who do I say he is? He created me. And when I was kidnapped and enslaved by the evil one, he rescued me Ah. and he's the one who holds me when I'm broken. Exactly. So
1: that is the powerful need to discern the presence of Christ in my life in ordinary ways, because we are saved, we are rescued over and over and over again every day. Right? So in a sense, you said it very beautifully, part of why I want to offer this is not so much for a theological conversation, which we could have, but it's much more a question of answering the question, why do I want to encounter him? So we spoke about salvation. We spoke about the fact that you need God to be the actor to bring me salvation. In a sense, one could ask, well, then in the end, where do I see the glimpses of salvation in my ordinary life? Because they are the signposts that Christ is alive in me, and then I see it most clearly in the sacraments, and preeminently in the Eucharist. Right? Yes. So it's almost like training you, you, those poor students that you have the, in soccer, where you're running them in 95 degree heat. Right? Um, you got to train. Yeah. So how, So so you got. We have to train our spiritual insight, our, our psyche, our imagination, our intuition so that you're not going to seek the opportunities of encounter because I'm telling you to, but because you'll see you felt the need to, because you begin yeah. to see, my God, uh, he's he's here now, right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. It's one thing to know who he is. It's another thing to know him. And for him and his presence to make a difference to
1: you. You know, one of the things that I find most um Uh, sobering I guess is the right word is how many people met Jesus but did not meet Jesus or put another way they met Jesus but didn't encounter Jesus in his earthly ministry and maybe they encountered him after see the funny thing is they had the preeminent opportunity to encounter him because the incarnation was physically there but In the end, maybe they encountered him through the preaching and witness and heroism and courage of the apostles. And they made the connection afterwards, right? We have the Lord, if one could say, is as physical a reality as we're going to have in the Eucharist in so much as it's a physical reality, even though it's the real presence of the resurrected, of the crucified and risen Lord, but actually, so I, I often wonder to myself. And again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if if you could go back in time and be on the road to Jericho and Jesus passed by, what
0: would you do? Like, what would you say? Right? Yeah, yeah. You would hope, you know, as an armchair quarter on Monday morning quarterback, you would hope that you'd be like, well, okay, I recognize him as the dude that I've been waiting for, you know, our savior, but.
1: And then at the end, of course, if he looked you look to right in the eyes. Right. We will not have that privilege until we get to the glory of heaven, when we will encounter the Lord in absolute, unmediated immediacy. Because now his presence is mediated. And the difference being, it's not completely direct, but it is in some way channeled through the sacred word of God, through the sacraments, through the beauty of creation, through the beauty of music, through the use of human reason, through the sciences. They're all venues to encounter Christ, but in glory, we will be unmediated. Imagine that, right? There'll be a direct encounter with Christ. And even there, I mean, theologians would argue even there, there's some mediation because we're not equal to God. So there's going to be some, but I don't know what that means. I mean, I'd be a liar. I, I really don't know because no one knows what that's going to look like in heaven. Anyway, so about two years ago, we talked about the box. Let's recall what that means. So there were four pieces to the puzzle to answer the question, all right, from a philosophical a reflective point of view to say who is this Jesus? But the basic concepts we already discussed, right? So that's really the motivation. This is where the rubber hits the road. But just for the fullness of time. So I so the only begotten Son of God from the Father enters into creation. There are four affirmations we need to make. The first is that he is truly God. And the first heresies deny Jesus's divinity. So the famous Arius, right? right? Uh, the highest of all creation, the highest higher above the angels, right? So the Council of Nicaea affirms the full divinity of Jesus in the year 325. So I believe that the 21st century, this is the great heresy in our midst, right? In a new form that we want to, there are many who will revere Jesus, who will follow his teaching, who will think he's certainly a force to be reckoned with. He is the highest of the angels, but he is not God. And therefore, there is no divine person there. Now, what's the consequence of that if someone fell into that heresy? The consequence is there is no salvation. So, who forgives you your sin? The answer is nobody. You could try to atone for your sin, but in the end, only God can forgive it. And therefore, if Jesus is not fully God, and I need to go to God to seek the forgiveness of my sins, then, in effect, that's no longer Christianity. And the revelation that God is love is lost in that. Mm. So part of the apologetics of the one is to to reaffirm the divinity of Christ in the quasi-religious worldview that exists in the public square that says, God may exist, but he's not really relevant, that's deism. Or God may exist, but it's certainly not Jesus. And in the end, it's all about you. You have to make, you by self-help and purposeful living and all the stuff they talk about nowadays, you have to make meaning in your life. No, but you can't. Because you can't forgive your own sins and you can't conquer death. So I'm not exactly sure what you're talking about. (laughs) Right.
0: Right. Right.
1: Okay. Then the second piece of the
0: box, all right, is... Actually, Excellency, can I ask you to hold that thought? We'll kind of use it as a teaser. Oh, for part two? Yeah, sure. Yes, we'll go into a break. Um, So if you want to find out the second piece of the box or be reminded, hang on. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network.
2: The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Alright, Excellency, so the second piece of the box mm-hmm. that you were talking about is the
1: opposite. It's the it's Apollinarius of Laodicea. It's the it's the the heresy that, yes, Jesus is divine, but he's not fully human, that he doesn't have a full human nature. In the end, what what Apollinarius held was that Jesus did not have a human soul. And the Council of Constantinople in 381 affirms that Jesus was truly human, a full human nature. What St. Paul said biblically and beautifully, "A, a, a man like us in all things but sin." Now, why is that important? Two reasons. Because if Christ didn't assume it, it wasn't redeemed. That's St. Gregory of Nazianzus and all the fathers of the church. So he assumed full humanity to save it. And he didn't assume sin because that's why we need salvation, right? Because of sin. You're right. But the other is, it's it's the solidarity. Now, this blows my mind, I must confess. The solidarity that God wishes to have with humanity by becoming one of us in all things but sin. So I've often mentioned this, and every time I mention it, even the way I describe it is just. It, it, it's almost like it, it, it limps because the, the the mystery is so far greater than any way to express it in language. So to say that we have a God who knows what it is to laugh or to cry or to share friendship or to be betrayed or to be spit upon and mocked, but also to see joy and healing, to see liberation, and yet, also to see bondage, right? To know what it is to be enchained, or to be in poverty, or to be a refugee, or to go to to, to spend time in a, in a country where there was not his language or his stepfather's livelihood, culture, or religion. I mean, our God has experienced all that, not from afar, but from within. So once again. When we talk about encountering Christ, we're encountering a God who is so close to us that we can miss Him. So, what's the principal way you encounter Christ? Is in the in the eyes and in the minds and in the hearts and in the hands and in the lives of our neighbor who's made in the divine image. So we're in the divine image. The incarnation fully completes the divine image. We're not the incarnation, but our God has entered human life. So you think of God, you think of the ultimate, you think of the detached, you think of the of the ultimate, ultimate one, big O, big N, big E, I mean, we were talking. And yet he's so intimate, he's a baby. I mean, I, I, I don't mean to like go on and on, but what a phenomenal revelation when we talk about solidarity and fraternity and we talk about justice and striving for peace, when we talk about a world order where everyone is respected and every human life is respected. Well, I mean, because God stands with us, not over us or next to us, it, with, it, within, it, with us.
0: In, I mean,
1: okay, I keep going on <laughs> and on.
0: it doesn't it doesn't make sense excellency that he would love us so much but when you think about it and when you listen to the words that you're saying i mean you should just be overwhelmed with who is this god (laughs) yeah but who is this god who would do
1: this or is this who i mean for all eternity now i mean it's interesting has god ever changed Well, in some respect, God does not change, could never. In another respect, one could argue, well, with the ascension into heaven, there is now the humanity of the second person of the Blessed Trinity, forever part of God. That is new (laughs) post-incarnation. So again, what's the felt need to encounter a God? who when I cry knows what I'm going through. I mean, do you see what I mean? It's not just about religious observance. It's about falling in love with a God who could tell me to jump off the bridge. And I'll say, okay, because I know you'll catch me if that's your will. And if it's not, then if it's truly is your will, then there must be something I don't understand. Now, of course, God's not going to ask you to jump off the bridge, but He is going to ask you to go in uncomfortable circumstances, to deal with people nobody else wants to deal with, to do the things that you don't think you would want to do or were inclined to do, or yeah. because he's always there. That's the second yeah. piece of the box. And of course, the third I think is the most mysterious. And the most mysterious is that you can be fully human, you can be fully God, and is un- it is united in one person. And we've talked about this, that's Nestorius, the, the Theotokos and the Christotokos, mm-hmm. right? Mary, of course, always gives, gives guidance and she gives light to the mystery of her son. She is the mother of God because God has a mother in creation. Although he does not have a mother in eternity, because he is begotten of the Father in God's life eternally, but he is actually born in his humanity of a mother, a human mother. So let's think about this. In the womb of Mary, what type of intimacy did Our Lady have with God? Of course, I'm not a mother, obviously, but... I've heard many a mother say, including my mother, right? That when you are carrying a child, there is, I'm not even how to describe it. I would defer to anyone who's a mother to describe it far better than me, but there isn't a a mysterious bonding, uh, a sharing of life that with all due respect to fathers is different, right? So that child in Mary's womb was, is, and forever will be God. So of every human being who ever existed, Mary's intimacy with God was unique. Mm -hmm. Who among human beings has an intuition, a mother's intuition of God? (laughs) Right. Right? So when people say, why do you revere Mary? I mean, what do you mean? It's it's, it's so obvious, just from human experience, from the first two pieces of this box, the third one, right? If, if, If you do not fall into the trap to say, today he's acting like God, and after lunch, that's his humanity show. No, it's God in his humanity, divinity at every moment, then you could understand the centrality of what Mary, and in the one... Mary's prominence has to be lifted up and celebrated because if Christ, okay, is the Savior, Mary is the bridge to the Savior because Mary is a human person. So she can teach us what we need to know to bridge to the one Savior. Yes. And then the last, of course, is that without confusion or mixture that Chalcedon spoke about right, in 451, which is Eutyches, when Eutyches said, well, really, really, right, that it's, there really was not so much a distinction between them, but there was this mixture, right, and the church said, no, no. So, Jesus had a human will, and a divine will, and the human will always was, in some way, subject to and follow that which was the divine will, but it was truly distinct. Now, why is that important? Because everything we say about Jesus by nature, we, through adoption in baptism, with the power of the Holy Spirit, are adopted sons. We are not co-natural but we are adopted sons and adopted daughters and therefore through grace our human will can become obedient and subject to god which was perfect in jesus for us it's imperfect because we're sinners but we can still strive for it and we could realize it in ever greater ways so the rebellion of the fall can be healed the concupiscence that resulted from the fall can over time be mitigated and healed in us through grace because divinity in grace comes to us not to obliterate our humanity, but to perfect our humanity. And therefore, Jesus is the perfect human life, even though he's not a human person. He is a divine person. So why encounter him? Is there a felt need? My advice to everyone listening is this. It begins with no longer running away from the fundamental questions of life. This quasi-religion of the secular world does everything it can to delay, to confuse, to distract from the fundamental questions. And the fundamental questions are, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? And most especially in the moment of my death, what awaits me? And if you honestly can say nothing then the other three questions I asked you, the question, the answers are irrelevant in the schema of both the physical universe and eternity, irrelevant. So in the end, we speak about the one and I'm going you're gonna hear me until the cows come home about having encounters with the Lord and opportunities to encounter the Lord to ask the question, Jesus, who do you say that I am? another way of answering the question is why must I, why am I important to you? Why do I matter to you? What difference does it make to you who I am? And the answer is it's the difference between life and death. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Yeah. Uh, I'm amazed by the fact that these, uh, these four councils that you talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, they occurred in the fourth and fifth centuries Mm -hmm. and uh, explain so much uh, about who Jesus is and his nature and his, um, him, uh, and yet 1,500 years later, you know the debate continues to roll on. As you mentioned, you know, it's uh, we're so fallen.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it debate for, for a number of reasons, and again, it, we can't fall into a false choice. For, for a number of reasons. The first is that we oftentimes do, do not go back to the basics, but we get entangled with the consequences. So what does that mean? So the Lord Jesus as the savior and redeemer gave birth to a living community that is his enduring presence in the world. Again, because God dwells with us, Emmanuel, because of what I just spoke about, right? That he is is literally with us, which boggles the mind. And he's with us in the mystery of his church. And his church, it has a divine and human aspect to it. But But there isn't a single acting person in the church, if I may put it. There is no hypostatic union in the church. And therefore... We spend an awful lot of time talking about the church and perhaps not enough time in talking about its savior and redeemer, its foundation and soul, Hmm. which is the blessed Trinity, most especially the son. So therefore, we don't ask the fundamental questions. We get wrapped up in the consequences and we get lost. Now there is a legitimate and fruitful and essential and indispensable conversation about the church because that's our immediate experience. So I'm not in any way suggesting that we should not have that conversation. But what I am suggesting is you always have to have that conversation in union with the conversation of who Christ is, because you can't understand the divinity and humanity of the church unless you, me, you meditate upon the mystery of the incarnation, which is a divine person with true who is truly God and truly man, because the one is inextricably linked to the other. So you live in a world that revels in the humanity of the church with all its foibles and all of the sins of its members and has no concept of its divine aspect because it is the bearer and guardian of revelation, which is definitively closed with the apostolic age. There is no new revelation coming. This is it. If humanity lives for a trillion years, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. It is also therefore the harbinger, I don't know what word you would use, harbinger I like, of the kingdom. So we speak of heaven, we speak of the kingdom of heaven, when there's ultimate fulfillment and healing of all things, right? But for us in the church, we are then almost like the prophetic voice of the kingdom. And therefore the church lives as 11 in the world to to bring forth with all our foibles and sins, the coming of the kingdom evermore, even in baby steps. Yeah, yeah right? So unfortunately, because of the colossal sins of some in, in our church, the humanity and brokenness of the church has come to full view. That's why in the one, in this conversation of encountering Christ, there's also the piece of accompaniment. Maybe so people say, well, that's kind of like self-help. No, it's not. No, it's the fullness of the mystery. Because the accompaniment is by the church. It's by the church. It's not by a, a group of friends. A small communities of faith, because where two or three are gathered in my name, which Jesus say? I am there. Of course he's there. Because it is incomplete to claim Jesus as your savior and to follow his teachings and to ignore his mystical presence in the world now. And that's ultimately what Christian faith particularly Catholic faith holds
0: yes so you need both in discipleship yeah and it it goes back to the three questions that you you know you said mm-hmm. everybody is asking mm-hmm. whether they're Catholic or atheist or anywhere and wherever they are in the world. These are the questions that are inside every human heart, Mm -hmm. right? And you said, who am I? Why am I here? And where am I going? Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And you see, one of the things that we're missing in the modern world oftentimes are the tools that philosophy can provide to help clarify our thinking to help us to reflect so that our thoughts and our actions are consonant. Because when they are not, when they are dissident, then we need to pause and reflect that either our thoughts need to be changed or modified or matured or our actions need to be challenged. I've often said, and I will keep saying it until I die, atheism is fundamentally a contradiction. Now, it's not to say that therefore to say there is a God means that you become a Christian because Christianity is the acceptance of revelation of who God is by God, right? Mm -hmm. Both in the prophets, right? In the law and ultimately in the incarnation, right? God, we know God who in himself only because God reveals himself. But to say that there is no God and therefore to people say conclude, which is imprecise language. It is to believe that there is no God. Okay? It's, I think, a fundamental contradiction. Because if there is no God, and therefore there is no objective source for truth, beauty, virtue, goodness, or value, and therefore the only other sources of that would either be the consensus of a group of a community or myself personally, which is what the quasi-religion of the modern world speaks of, then where is there an eternal pieces? Where where is there the answer to the fundamental question? What difference do I make that could last? Not just for a time, but for my life or but for all eternity, right? The human heart does not want to make a difference for a year. It wants to make a permanent, no one wants their memory obliterated forever. No one wants to go into nothingness. That's what the nihilists claim. Atheists would say, no, I don't believe that there's nothing. I don't believe that there is no meaning. I can make a difference for a time. I can make a difference while I live. I can make a difference that accumulates into a greater difference that would keep going on. But that's not me. That's not me. So one can convince themselves of this. But I think fundamentally, if you actually believed that there is no God, then there is actually no reason to get out of bed. There really is no reason to write a book. There's no reason to teach. There is no reason to try to convince people of your principle. There there isn't. That's fundamentally logical. Now, it could be existential, it could be felt-need, it could fit the culture, whatever else, but in the end, that's why philosophy is the handmaid of theology. And again, in, in the one, we're going to have to struggle with this because the the road to conversion and deeper conversion for believers is always going back to the question, who do you say that I am? Or put it another way, why? Why do you believe you need me, or do you think you need me? And if you don't need me, who or what do you need in my place?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, this. Uh, we can never get enough Christology. <laughs> No. As long as as long as it doesn't end at the academic, right, Excellency, as long as it leads to what you just said.
1: Yeah, and, th- and that's ultimately why I felt compelled to do this, to talk about this. Because from the angle in which we're talking about it today, it really is a question of why, why should I seek an encounter with Christ every day? Why should I feel the need or make the decision to to in the community I already have in my parish or in my school, or to seek a new one that I would join? Why do I? Why would I make the choice to be accompanied and to gradually kind of share my life with, at the beginning, it could be strangers that, please God, one day would we'll be friends? Why? Why? Well, the why is answered in the fundamental question of who. Who is my savior? Where will salvation come to me? Who can I turn to, to be my hope that is reasonable, a hope that I can fully commit to, a hope that can dare to have me believe that my sins are not the final judgment and death is not my annihilation? that's why that's why we have the one okay awesome.
0: and the homily stand for the creed stand for the creed <laughs> <laughs> or or hold on through the break <laughs> okay so this is let me be frank on the Veritas Catholic Network we'll be right back with a listener question
2: hey It's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there.
0: Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Okay, Excellency, here is this week's listener question. It says, Bishop Frank, the Sanhedrin obviously knew Jesus. So why did Judas have to approach Jesus and betray him with a kiss? Why not just say he's at the Mount of Olives? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you
1: can answer the question many ways. And this is somewhat of a speculation. But what do politicians claim? Plausible deniability, and in effect, the Sanhedrin wanted Jesus delivered to them. They did not want themselves to be the agent publicly to um, mm. uh, betray Jesus—not betray Jesus, but to but to um, arrest, have Jesus arrested. Right? Did they want just to deal with Jesus? or did they want to obliterate everything that he stood for? So the first would be a simple arrest they could have arranged. The second was a betrayal from within. Again, it's guerrilla warfare in the wrong way.
0: Right, so cowardly.
1: But of course, from our reflection, for our personal reflection, for our spiritual reflection, what I've said before, what I meditate on over and over again for which I don't have a ready answer. Well, perhaps, you know, when bishops have answers. They can make up answers. Not make up, but I could come up with an answer. But I mean, something that I invite everybody to think about, which maybe we could return to, is that what's most poignant of that whole issue is not the plausible deniability, it's not the attempt to obliterate it from within, but the symbol of love was the act that betrayed love himself. Because when people fall in love, a man and a woman fall in love, they begin that relationship obviously by a simple kiss, which is a physical expression of the love you have. So the symbol of love was the vehicle for the betrayal of love himself. What a fascinating mystery to contemplate.
0: Hmm. Wow. Okay. Great question. Great answer. <laughs> if you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can email questions at VeritasCatholic.com or you can send it in on social media. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we would like to thank our sponsor. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. That's, of course, the fund through Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport. You can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Thanks again, excellent. Thank scene. you, my friend. Thank you. Yes, yes. And would you please give us your blessing before we all go? Absolutely.
1: Let's pray for our students, all our young people, co- collegians, everybody back in school in a very special way. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, as we ask that you continue to bless and guide our journey of faith, may your Holy Spirit descend upon all those who have returned to school, and to our teachers and educators, and all who will guide and protect them. May their labors bear great fruit. May they grow in wisdom and grace. And may your angels always protect them may the blessing of almighty god father the son and the holy spirit come upon us and remain with us forever amen amen okay my friend i'll see you next week okay see you all the best